Good morning. It's great to see all of you folks here at Crosstown. Great to have you. I hope you're enjoying your summer. I know school's right around the corner, but we're glad you're here. And just pretend like there is no school going to happen in the next couple weeks. So just relax and enjoy yourself and uh, finish out your summer well. You know, talking about road trips, when my kids were young, we used to get all jacked up for a, for a road trip. Now, because the, the money was, it wasn't always there, road trips were really special. And we started talking about them six months, nine months, uh, a year out, whether it was going to Disney World or going to uh, Acadia or Yosemite, whatever you went for your, for your holidays. We would actually, a year out, begin to show pictures, begin to show videos of where we were going to go. And the kids were younger. And, and at supper time, we'd actually have family meetings about our vacation. And we laid out to the kids about, okay, now you have a choice that we can either go in Magic Kingdom or Epcot, but Epcot's kind of boring, but we'll show you pictures of it anyway. And we go to Magic Kingdom, we can do stuff like this, and we'd lay it all out. And then what would happen next is the countdown. The kids would actually post signs on their doors doing a daily countdown to Disney or, or to Washington, D.C. or wherever the trip was, and there would be this countdown. It was really cool because what we did was we planted inside of their hearts, inside of their minds, not just an event, but we, we implanted a dream, a vision of, of what the future was going to look like and how that was going to play out. And so they began to think about it. They began to dream about how this vacation was. Because if you're like me, sometimes a vacation, you put out all that money, you go, you come back, and it's over with. But we wanted it to be an experience, something that kind of dropped inside of them. And on the road trip, God wants to drop something inside of us as well. He wants to give us a vision. He wants to give us a dream for our lives. And so I've asked Jeff to come and share. Jeff is starting a church with his family in the North Houston area starting next month. And God planted a dream into his life and to his family and for that community to bring a Bible-based community in that area to reach the people around. But it doesn't just happen to pastors. It happens to mommies. It happens to daddies. It happens to us as single people, as older people, as younger people, that God wants to plant vision in us. He doesn't want us just to survive. He wants us to thrive. He wants us to live with, with his thoughts, with his pleasure flowing through us. So Jeff's going to come and he's going to share about beginning to get that picture from God about what life is going to look like. Thank you, Pastor Paul. It is an honor to be here. Um, Pastor Paul has been a friend and a mentor to me and my wife for over 20 years. He was uh, our young adult pastor. Um, he was in our wedding. He's been a friend and mentor. He was on the board of the last church I was at, and now somehow I talked him into being on the board of this church, of our church, and we're excited to have him and Susan uh, pouring into our lives. I, I'm, I'm so honored to be here, and it's so exciting to be on this road trip. We, we, just so you know, the countdown is 43 days, 43 days until we launch our first service. And we're believing that we'll have 400 people at our first service, that we'll have 100 people on our launch team, that we'll have raised $225,000. And those, those are big numbers. Those are exciting. Those are God numbers. Those are, those, those are a dream that God's given us along with um, being in the New Caney area and launching a life-giving church. But you know, sometimes when we're, when we're on our road trip, there's ups and downs. And and planning this church has been like a roller coaster, up and down, up and down. And even though we had, 
even though we had these big dreams, there was times of frustration and pain. And when we, we began to cast the vision of having 400 people at our launch and, and 100 people on our launch team and, and raising that amount of money, we began to recruit people to be on our team. Now, when we landed, we knew like 15, 20 people. We had lived there for a couple years before. I have family there. But every one of them was a big part of the church they were already in. And we didn't want to just go there and ask people to leave their church. But throughout the process, it became difficult to recruit. And so I just began to talk about having 45, 50 people on the team or launching with only 200 people at our first service and only raising about $125,000. Because I believe that was what was possible. And then I had a friend challenge me and say, Jeff, you want to plan a church that, does, that helps people see miracles happen in their lives to have them dream and see those dreams come true in their lives, to pursue a God-given purpose that they're not even aware of yet. And here you are only thinking about what is possible. So I have to confess, I had to repent from that. I had to push forward. And I began to cast a vision again about having 400 at launch and 100 people on the launch team and raising a large amount of money. And I'm here to tell you that even though the ups and downs have been frustrating and painful, even though we've had people say no to us, even we, we've had pastors say, why do we need another church in the town? It was an experience I, I won't trade for anything. If you would have told me what we would have had to go through to get there beforehand, I would have said, no, thank you. But now that we've been through it, I will do it all over again because I believe that God has stretched us beyond our own capabilities and stretched us beyond our own understanding that Brandy and I have begin, become better Christ followers, better leaders, better husband and wife, much better parents because of what God has done in and through us as we've pursued this dream. And we've seen an amazing thing happen. And since I started casting the vision, the real dream, not the possible dream, but the impossible dream, we've had over 46 adults join our team, but with teenagers and Junior high, we are, well, Brandy says 71, I say almost 80, because I'm a pastor, that's the way we count. But uh, almost 80 people already, and we still have 43 days to go, and we're amped. And we see the dream coming true, that we've already raised $170,000. We see the dream coming true. And what it is, is God put, gives us dreams, and they stretch us, and they push us. A God-given dream doesn't just... It make us dream about the next thing we're going to do. He has us dream about things that only he can see happening. And today I want to encourage you and, and let you know that God has a dream for every one of us. God has a dream for you. No matter what you've done, what your past is like, God has a dream of you. He dreams of you. He dreams of you being in relationship, depending on him and seeking him. God has a dream for every one of us. And we know this because of Jeremiah 29, 11, where it says, for I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and to not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. You see, dreams, God's plans, God's purposes in our life are there to give us a hope and a future. Maybe you're sitting here today and you, and you, don't, you don't have a dream in your heart. You don't have a hope for the future. Today, I want to help you find that. I want to encourage you to pursue God-given dreams. Because not only does God dream about us, he wants us to dream. 
We find that in Acts chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. And Peter, well, what had happened was on the day of Pentecost, uh, the Holy Spirit came down and all the people that were in the upper room that had followed Jesus, the Spirit, Holy Spirit fell on them and they began to speak in tongues and run up and down the aisles and do all the crazy stuff that everybody's afraid that happened in Charleston. You know, that kind of stuff, you know. But Peter gets up with the other 11 apostles and, and he shouts to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. Nine o'clock in the morning is much too early, though four o'clock's fine. No. <laughs> you see, it was much too early. What you see here had been predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. You see, Joel predicted and prophesied that in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream, see visions, and your old men will dream dreams. God wants us to see his vision. He wants us to see things that only he can make possible. Like I shared, it was possible for me to get 50 people probably, but it was impossible for me to get 100. But it was only possible through him. And he wants us to see our dreams, and he wants us to see things happening in the future and in our hope things that only he can do. Now for us to have dreams come to fruition, we have to step out in faith. You know, I could have the dream about planning the church and I can have the dream about, uh, about seeing a life-giving church operating in the Porter New Caney area north of Houston. But until I actually step out in faith and go and tell the, the, uh, my last pastor that hey, I'm thinking about doing this, I, it's a risk. Before I go and, and share with Paul about my dream, I'm taking a risk. Most of all, I have to step out in faith and actually go to Houston and begin to recruit people to be on our team. It takes a risk. We see, without taking a risk, without stepping out in faith, we can't see these dreams happen. We see this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You see, faith is what you have until the dream becomes a reality. But faith is what we do to make that dream become a reality. Today I want to talk to you about two guys, a man named Cornelius who was a, a centurion, uh, which is a, a pretty senior soldier in the Roman army. And uh, he, he, he was a pretty wealthy man, pretty powerful man, but he loved God. He was a righteous man. He wanted to do those things, but he was not a Jew. And then there's a man named Peter. We all know who Peter is. He was, he was the, the disciple that betrayed Jesus. He was the disciple that said it was, they're not drunk. He was, he was the one that God was building his church on. And I want to tell you a story about these two men and how their lives intersect and how their lives intersecting following their God-given dreams changed eternity for everyone who's ever been born ever since. Let's go to chapter 10. We're going to pick it up in verse 3. One day, about 3 in the afternoon, he had a vision. This is Cornelius. He distinctly saw an angel who came to him and said, Cornelius, now send to Hopa to, to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. About noon the following day, they were on their journey. What he's talking about there is on, on the following day was the men that Cornelius sent to Hopa. The following day, and they were approaching the city. Peter went up 
to the roof to pray. Now, Peter has no idea that these men are coming to him. Peter goes to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And and while someone was preparing the meal, he, he fell into a trance. How many people like that? That's biblical. When your wife makes you lunch, you can take a nap. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet, picnic blanket, being let down by the earth on its four corners. And it contained all manner of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. And a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure and un- or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time and said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Now, there's some obvious things that we can take from this. First, God wants us to eat bacon-wrapped shrimp. We are free to eat bacon-wrapped shrimp, right? We need to have freedom in those areas of our life, right? You see, Jewish law had restricted them from, from eating any certain animals like pig or, 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 the, or the cockroach of the ocean shrimp. But the, the Jewish restrictions were so tight also that they couldn't even let the cheese and the meat talk, touch. You couldn't have a cheeseburger, let alone a bacon cheeseburger. You see... God wasn't just giving people freedom. I'm going to say, hey, that's good. Let's close the Bible. Freedom in what we eat. We're good to go, right? I mean, obviously, I walk in that freedom. (laughs) I was wondering if Paul was going to tell a big Hero 6 joke about me when we came up. But my kids say that's my Disney character. I prefer to say it's Maui, but they say it's Big Hero 6. Um, This verse and this passage isn't just about people getting to eat what they want to eat. It's not about having freedom to eat the greatest thing on earth, bacon. No. This passage here shows us there's three things that that God-given dreams can can put into us and that God wants to do in and through us through God-given dreams. First, he wants us to take a risk. God wants us to take a risk. Cornelius had to take a risk. Could you imagine being this wealthy guy and just say to some guys, hey, There's this guy named Peter in this town. I'm not exactly sure because they didn't have, you know, the app on the phone for it. Go to the town and find Peter and bring him back. That's a risk he had to take. Peter has to take a risk. I know some people that won't eat certain types of potato chip just because it's not a certain brand. Could you imagine being told your whole entire life to eat something that you've never, you've been told your whole life you you can't. It's a sin to eat. Peter was being asked to take a risk. God calls us to action through dreams and visions. Cornelius was called to action to send those men out. Peter's being called to action to kill and to eat. And God can use visions and dreams to change the way we think. You see, Peter was being challenged to change the way he thought about food, but we know that it was more than that. It wasn't just about eating impure or unclean food. It was about being around impure or unclean Gentiles. That even though these people had walked with Jesus, and and I think they could wrap their mind around the Samaritans being a part of the promise, they really didn't think that the Gentiles had the same access to Christ and to the gospel that they did as believing Jews. And this dream opens that door. But the great thing is, is it doesn't just end in verse 15. We pick it up again in verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up, go downstairs, 
do not hesitate to go for them. Go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why are you here? Then the men replied, we have come from Cornelius, the centurion. He is a righteous, God-fearing man and is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up and, and said, stand up, I am only a man. Here, here Cornelius is a wealthy man, a powerful man, even a righteous man, respected by Jews, but he still wasn't a Jew. He didn't think he was good enough to be in front of Peter, who was just a fisherman. And he throws himself at his feet, but Peter says, stand up. And while Peter was talking to him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people in Cornelius' house. And he said to them, you are all well, well aware that it is against our law for Jews to associate or even visit Gentiles. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message. You see, Peter is telling these people in this room who believe that it's not okay for him to even be in there, that God has told him not to call anything impure or unclean. And then the Holy Spirit falls. The Holy Spirit lands on these people as they're hearing the message of the gospel. And the circumcised believers, the, the Jewish believers who had come with Peter, were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even dirty Gentiles. For they had heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can, can be in the way of, of them being baptized in water. So Peter ordered that they be baptized. Peter has a dream about food, but it's a much bigger dream than that. This God-given dream changes the way he thinks about other people, about Gentiles. It also changes the way the Gentiles think about themselves. It changes the way other believers, Christians, Christ followers, thought about other Gentiles. See, Peter's dream didn't just affect the eternity of the people in that room. Yes, they, 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 they received the Holy Spirit. They, they are now believers and will spend eternity with Christ. But Peter's dream opened the door of the gospel to every tribe and every nation that has ever been in the last 2,000 years. As Peter's dream unlocked the door, instead of it being from who your great, 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 great grandfather was, of whether or not you could receive the gospel or receive the promise, that it's open for everyone. Dreams are powerful. Dreams are powerful, but dreams will only take effect when we step out and we, and we take the leap of faith and walk out those dreams. See, if Peter or Cornelius, either one of them, have not taken that step of faith and taken that risk, none of this would have unfolded. I want to encourage you today that no matter what is going on in your life, no matter what, what you've done in your past or, or, or how God is, is using you now, please continue to dream. 
God has a dream for you, and he wants to show it to you. You may ask me, how can you know the difference between a God-given dream and a regular dream? So when I was in high school, I had a dream of playing professional baseball. I was pretty good. I even played one summer in Europe. It was pretty cool. But I only wanted to play baseball because it was fun and I could be rich. But God had also given me a dream. I would dream about preaching to people. I didn't like that dream. I didn't like that dream because most of the preachers I knew weren't rich. I didn't like that one. But one turned out to be a God-given dream, and one just turned out to be something I wanted. And it's not wrong to have things we wanted, we want, but what do we put our effort in? We need to put our effort in the God-given dreams. There's four things I think that we can use as a filter to say, what is a God-given dream? First, a God-given dream is God-honoring. It's God-honoring. It doesn't bring glory to you. Sometimes a God-given dream, you do a bunch of work and you never get the recognition because it's all about honoring God. A God-given dream defies culture. Peter defied culture by going into the house of the Gentile and completely changed the idea of who the gospel was open to. God-given dreams defy culture. God-given dreams affect eternity. Not only did Peter's dream affect the eternity of the people in that room, it affected the eternity for all of us. My parents have done the 23 and me thing, and it turns out that I'm 100% mutt. But I'm not Jewish in any way. I wouldn't have had access to the gospel. Dreams are powerful. Dreams are amazing, and they change eternity. The fourth thing that we can, a filter we can use is uh, it sh- dreams seem impossible. God-given dreams seem impossible. It even seemed impossible to Peter, who had seen Jesus raised from the dead. He says, God, I can't do that. I can't, I've never eaten that. I can't do that. God-given dreams seem impossible to us. But God helps us see how they can come to fruition. And as we determine whether or not we have a God-given dream, one of the, one of the things that a lot of us need to do is begin to pursue it. So I have five things we can do to pursue God-given dreams. and See, these dreams don't have to be about planning a church in Houston. They can be about restoring your family, restoring relationships that have been broken, being the catalyst for change and transformation in other people's lives. I encourage you to pursue God-given dreams first by doing a lot of praying and fasting. Praying and fasting is the cornerstone what we did. Before Jesus would go into his next phase of his ministry, he spent time praying and fasting. I encourage you to do that. The second thing is seek counsel. You need to talk to believers who, who themselves have pursued God-given dreams. When Brandy and I were praying about planning the church, I spent time with Pastor Paul, I spent time with other pastors, talking it through with them praying that they would talk me out of it. (laughs) The next thing we need is we need to have a covering. We need to have covering. 20 some odd years ago, I told Pastor Fred Richard at Northwood that I believe God was calling to me to be a lead pastor. And he said, you know, that's great, Jeff. God might be calling you to be a lead pastor, but right now I need you to be an usher. And I ushered like I was pastoring people. 
And I stayed under the covering of Pastor Fred and wherever I was at, I stayed under the covering. Sometimes it was easy and sometimes it was hard. But you gotta stay under the covering. Because if we want God to do incredible things in our lives, I believe that he wants us to be submitted to other believers that can help us get there in a healthy way. The next thing you need is you need to make sure you have friends, that you're in a small group, and that you can have people around you that are going to support you. That they support you. I mean, it's great to have friends, but when I talk about being in a small group, I'm talking about being a part of a group of people that do life with you. When you're in the hospital, they visit you. When you're sick, they bring you food. Those are the kind of friendships that you need. If you don't have that, pursuing a God-given dream can be lonely. It can be tough. The fifth thing that you need to do is you need to write it down. You see, in Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, now this is in the message, so it's a little bit different than what you might read in your Bible, but Habakkuk tells us to write down the vision. He said, and then God answered, write this. Write what you see. Write out in big block letters so that it can be read on the run. You know, there's been many times while we've been pursuing this dream that we get busy, we get frustrated, we get tired. And it had been really easy to change what the vision was. It would have been really easy to change what the dream was if I didn't have it written down. If I didn't write it down and make it visible for me to see. In fact, I did. I, I cut the numbers in half because... I was scared, but then when I went back to my dream board, I saw those numbers again. Write it down. This vision message is a witness pointing to what's coming. It acts, it aches for the coming. It can, it can hardly wait. And when it doesn't, and it doesn't lie, if it seems slow in coming, wait. It's on its way. It will come right on time. You know, I waited 20 years after I told Pastor Fred I believed I wanted to be a pastor. And last year, April 29, 2017, at Summerbrook Church, Pastor Fred put his hand on us and sent Brandy and I out to go to that church. We stayed under the covering. We sought wise counsel. And we waited on the dream to happen. No matter what your dream is, no matter what you've done, no matter what's going on, God wants you to dream. And I want to encourage you, if you've let a dream die, pursue that dream. Pick it back up. Get around friends. Get in a small group. If you're not connected relationally, do it. Dreams are powerful. Dreams ch ch change a people's eternity. But they do nothing if we do nothing to make them happen. If we don't pursue what God's given us, we can't ever reach the promise that he has for us. And you may be sitting here thinking, Jeff, I, um, I've made too many mistakes. God can't use me. You know, I've ran into that as I sit and talk with people and recruit them to be on our team. Many times I ask them what their dream is and they say, well, I have this dream, but there's no way God can do that because I've made this mistake. But I remind you what the Apostle Peter says that God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. That your dreams have no expiration date. That there's a full and effect warranty on every one of your dreams if it is a God 
given dream. I just want to encourage you, pursue them. The biggest dream God has, though, is for you to be a part of his family. And I want to encourage you, or you've not joined this Christ family, if you've not become a believer, a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage you to do that today. Because he loves you so much that he put dreams in other people's hearts to help you have a relationship with him. He loves you so much that he sent his own son to die for you. We know this in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. As Pastor Paul comes back up to, to talk with you guys, I just want to encourage you today, don't let your dreams die. And don't let the dream that God has for you of you being his friend and a part of his family don't let that pass away. Grab hold of it. Yeah, life and a God-given dream is a roller coaster. But it is the most amazing roller coaster you'll ever be on. Thank you. Father, we just thank you for your incredible love that you were dreaming about us even before the foundations of the world. And you committed all the resources of heaven. You committed your son Jesus even before one wrong or right had ever been done. You had, you had already committed everything, your very heart, to the reality that, that we can experience. We thank you so much for that. So as we enter into this moment of communion with you, when we take the bread, when we dip it into the cup, when we receive prayer, whether we sit in this moment of worship, it's a time where we invite your spirit to come and speak to our hearts. For those of us who are discouraged in our dream, strengthen us. To those of us who have gone blind, restore our sight. To those of us who are even unaware that you are there today. Help us to see your kingdom, to be born afresh in our hearts. We thank you, God. So we just commit ourselves in this moment to allow your spirit, just like it did with Peter, just like it did with Cornelius, just like it did with that early church, to settle into us. And the promise is for every one of us, whether young or old, whether burnt out or fresh, whether walking in failure or at the height of success, you want us to have your dream in our lives. And today, we open our hearts to it.